0: I'm Chris and I'm Jake a fun episode for you guys today Chris is I'm, back. Back. I'm back I'm back I'm <laughs> here I survived I made it I, I didn't get uh I am abducted su- I, or... you know what
1: I'm really surprised about it's currently what like 95 degrees prob- no it's like 99 degrees yeah, on my so way over like to the studio degree. yeah and after being in the car the entire time to the east coast and back you drove the old 911 down here I in did the
0: heat I did it's not once if you're moving it's not that bad Yeah, I suppose. Do you have the uh, Do you have the rear wing
1: windows open? Yeah, they don't
0: do anything. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do a little bit when if you want to have the front windows up. Sure. Then just for the sound pressure, it pulls air through the car, so that's nice if it's like 75, 80 degrees.
1: No, it's actually ideal when it's like cooler out, right? And you have the heat on, and
0: that kind of pulls airflow through. through. Yeah, yeah.
1: Not ideal for hundred degrees. No, actually,
0: you know, about an hour and a half ago, I got in the car and drove over to get Taco Bell. Ate Taco Bell, drove back in the car. Had a, I had the super hot poops when I got back too. Just because yeah. you're like in the car and hot. Oh, and it's like after just Taco Bell, ruminating. It, Taco Bell was a bad choice. <laughs> it was a really bad choice. It was. It was. It was not a great. i, I always
1: wanted Taco Bell breakfast, and I just had it this morning. Shout out Taco Bell for breakfast. Yeah, have you seen their breakfast menu?
0: Just, dude, it's amazing. AKA not a sponsor of the podcast, <laughs> just, I don't I don't do weird taco breakfast things. Oh, I don't I just, like yeah, Mexican breakfast is the best. So I bet you want to know how my car ran on the entire road trip. I do. It ran awesome. Okay, so what about your throttle issue? Or still not there. throttle issue. Your car issue. Still there, issue. but minimized. Yeah. It's still there. Is so it if, to the point where I wouldn't even notice it? Um if if it's hot. Yeah, you would probably not even notice it. Maybe you'd feel like a little bit of a stutter leaving from first gear. Maybe I should take it around the block here when we're done. It's also significantly faster than when you rode in it last time because I was missing about seven degrees of timing. which is a lot. Yes, that is. It absolutely rips. I think you'd have a lot of fun with it. Um, I swapped out to MSD before I left. Oh, that's right. That made a big difference just in terms of how smooth it runs.
1: Did you dial in like a digital um,
0: red line cutoff? I did, but I have one of those Rev-limiting rotors? Right, which I have as well. Yeah, why don't you explain to everybody how that thing works?
1: Yeah, so on a normal rotor, and the cap and rotor, the old distributor-style ignition, you basically CDI, have, capacitive
0: discharge ignition, It is, but it still yeah.
1: goes through. It's not like a coil pack. You right, know what I mean? It still right. goes through your distributor. And so as your rotor goes around, which basically connects with each plug
0: wire as it needs to fire. Yeah, there's like a little, like if you have, it's got a little metal tip on it. Right. And it's inside your cap. Yes. And there's like a little uh, brass. And somehow mine corroded the other day.
1: Not the other day. but like moisture must sitting, get in there. Yeah, moisture. And mine yeah. was corroded. I had to yeah. clean it up. But anyways, this thing spins. And as it spins faster and faster you with revs, at you, half the speed,
0: mind you, If you drive the car... That doesn't happen. They don't corrode. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yes, 100%. That's, that only happens when they sit there. <laughs>
1: um, which it did over winter. Yeah. Yours did too, as I know. Uh, well, I
0: started it up a couple of times yeah i'm sure i did that too that. i don't
1: know what the issue was regardless as it spins around at half the rpm because that's how it's designed because it's a four-stroke engine so you need spark every once every two revolutions of the motor so Correct. that's why it spins at half there's a little spring-loaded weight however on this rotor that actually grounds out the cap yeah and so that's basically how it cuts ignition revs. so the little spring and the little weight
0: pulls the connection as away from the force yeah it's pretty great. So it. it's at a it certain is genius. RPM, I
1: I had never encountered this before. And there's different weights an and Porsche. different springs.
0: So you have like BMW did this too. So you can right. kind of, and it's the same cap and rotor so, as BMW. Well,
1: yes, if you have a Bosch unit, which I have, the old Magneti Merini, Marini know, Magneti Morelli, yeah, the Italian yeah. one. Yep. Which is like one year only on my motor, <laughs> which is super hard to find. No one makes so reproduction you've got a crappy ones.
0: distributor and horrible carburetors. Well,
1: yes, but I had mine is actually out of a Fiat 500. Oh. It's the only other thing I could find that has this rotor
0: on it and cap.
1: Okay, so, so what's that's, your rev limiter? Rev limit. Well, after I sprung it out a little bit more yeah. from sixty-five <laughs> to sixty-eight. Nice, yeah. yeah. So
0: mine is seventy two hundred, which, which is th- that's great s- about these I'm sorry. things. Is you can tune them basically by just seven thousand, or they'll just slowly fatigue over time. Right, mine's a seven thousand. It's a nine thirty distributor okay. rotor. Um, but I, of course, my uh, my Street Fire, which is MSD, has right. a tunable you know, right. rev limiter, so you can just you know. Select so which you don't you need that anymore. Right now, I have both. Right, so I set. So which the, one's cutting out first? Obviously, the rotor. I set the yeah. rev limiter on the uh, on, on the, the MSD on the MSD at seventy two hundred. Sure. And then my distributor is seven 000. And thousand. I'm going to keep seven thousand because I still shift generally. I, I mean, would, every once in a while, I'll get up there, but still, I, I would still get a different non-limiting rotor. Yes, I need to do that. I just. So then you can I actually used the MSD use in the MSD. day before I left. Yeah. Literally the day before I left. That was, I,
1: that was that was a gamble. And
0: it, I wired <laughs> it up. It,
1: Massive changes to a car <laughs> right before
0: thousands of miles of road tripping. It's always a horrible idea. Not necessarily not necessarily what you do. But it worked do. great. I was worried about the the distributor or I'm sorry the the ignition kind of being old. It's been in the car since I got it. It is a kind of a rare ignition so so you said this is from a 930 this Yeah. Setup, so it's an which eight, is the old portion 911 turbo yeah it's a it's what's called an eight pin Permatune box so it's wire discharge ignition you know it just right. it has a hall sensor magnetic hall sensor and distributor that basically tells uh tells everything when to do it, what it's ever it's supposed to do which is <laughs> right. spark and it's old
1: actually it's, you can still run cdi with points which is how my car was when i got it but i did put
0: in the electronic hall sensor yeah so Instead the hall points. sensor is basically call it a hall sensor because it's a little window that the the situation passes, and that's why I it,
1: don't think that's why they call it a hall sensor. Yeah,
0: that's how it's like a hallway.
1: I'm it's, pretty sure it has something to do with <laughs> some guy named Professor Hall that invented I like. My, it.
0: I like I like my <laughs> idea better. So one of the reasons why is because it was old, and I figured right. it was about to die. The Perma Permatune actually made. Um, CDI boxes for Porsche at one time just right. cuz they didn't have enough of them or and the So there was you Bosch would get or permatoon. basically
1: an OEM Permatune box.
0: Right. And they they have like multi spark and all this like fancy stuff that they're supposed to do, but it was old, ancient in fact. Okay. You know, I've, it's been in the car for my entire life of of living with the car which is about 60,000 miles. And like this is going to die at some point. Yeah, it's going to die. Time, this or Murphy's the coil law. is going to die. Sure. So, uh, as a good friend always has told me, Uh, Two is one. One is is none. Okay. Because if you have one and it goes bad, you have zero. Right. If you have two and one goes bad, you still have one. I like that. So I bought two CDI boxes and two coils. So you you... keep an extra CDI box with you the whole time, too? they're, They're very small. Okay. They're very small. They're about the same size. As the it. only
1: electrical component I always keep with me is, of course, plugs. And then the what's nice about my engine, 1970 only, that alternator is one year only, which I had to replace, which is terrible. But it has the regulator not mounted on the alternator yeah, as on most the do, the frame but it's actually on the side. Yeah, so you so, can replace that. So and easy. that's the one thing they say actually does go out more frequently than anything else. Yep. So I have an extra little regulator, which is nice.
0: I can literally just unplug and plug yeah, that I back in. I brought an extra coil. Yep. And an extra CD box. Okay. And then tools and jets. And I did, when I was out there, I'm like, I'm kind of, I have a little, uh, I have air fuel gauges and I've got a, an I, altimeter. I want to talk and, to you about that because
1: I want to get that same
0: uh, air fuel little O2 band sensor it, that it's, you it's have. It is pretty good. Okay. Every once in a while it disconnects. So it's kind of a little bit of a pain in that way. I yeah, think but if you located it. Be like, I
1: wouldn't be running it all the time. I would just want to use it for tuning like you had been done.
0: What I would do for tuning and everything like that is I would just get a uh, little banana clips and put it on there okay. and then just shove it into the exhaust pipe. And then you could just take it out when you're done. And then it could just be like a temporary thing that you don't have all well, the time. Well, that's what I
1: have right now. I oh. have an exhaust tube yeah, that I but basically read yeah, you have a
0: cord that's running all over right. the car. you right. Just Bluetooth. And it, you can just plug the power right into the box where your voltage regulator that you're talking about is you can get little banana clip right. right there. Boom. And it's yeah, just so all I self-contained
1: should hard mount
0: the oxygen to. sensor. If you want, I did. I yeah, did. Yeah, that's so what I wanted. To I'm do. just saying, if you didn't want to go through the oh, effort of well. doing that, you could do the other thing. Um, th- it's great. You know, it's I, I've killed one O2 sensor with leaded gas. Right when already. you
1: ran your 110 race uh, fuel yeah. that was in the lawnmower.
0: Yeah, not 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 good. <laughs> yeah, it say, yeah it is, I did just, just dump it all into the lawnmower because it's not useful. And now you anything can do wheelies, which- I did. You, I'm sure you could have been able to do before. Oh, no, yeah, totally. It doesn't actually. It
1: doesn't have a knock sensor or something. If you're, yeah, if your engine isn't tuned to run a higher octane, and the only reason higher octane is required is to um, basically prevent detonation. Yeah, resist right? detonation. And so it's uh, technically, it's a harder burning fuel, which is a lot of times on like two stroke snowmobiles and stuff. I've always been told run 87. You're not gaining any performance. You're actually hindering performance by putting a higher octane fuel in than is required or necessary.
0: So if your car says eight, well, obviously we're talking about new cars now. Okay. New
1: cars do have their own, um, it has its own octane sensor in right. the vehicle. Right. And with a lot of new cars, it even has an ethanol
0: sensor in the vehicle right. where it can switch from E85, the whole flex fuel deal. Even, even so, even like mid, like what do we call them? Mid-new? It wouldn't mid-new, mid-new be, new? like early 2000s. That's, that be it's
1: like, like when I think of like flex fuel, like yeah. Chevys yeah, came but out. But you also
0: have uh, cars that will they'll start to learn and they'll start running a little bit more timing okay. until it senses yeah. knock and no, then it timing back. No, I'm definitely talking
1: old school carburetors yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> you're not gaining any performance. Technically,
0: you, in theory, are hindering performance a little bit by using an octane more than what you need. Right. So I took probably, one thing that I thought was really cool is that, like I was going to say I had an altimeter with me and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, <laughs> you, every okay. every 3,000 feet, you got to yeah, change the chest I never touched it. Yeah, I kind I of imagine you touched it It was awesome. It was great. The car ran at Good. 210 degrees the whole time. I'm going 80, 85 down the freeway. Yeah. It's 90 degrees outside. Wow. Before I changed out my thermostat and put the Carrera cooler in, I, I would have d- had to have driven 60 miles per hour. Or pulled whole. over and waited for half an hour for the damn thing to cool down. Well, I never had to do that, but I did have to drive slow. Yeah. Because obviously my displacement and energy I was um generating was greater than the, the-
1: exothermic reaction that is, it- is the combustion yes
0: yeah that's it that's it so on the way home I noticed that I started to have a little bit of a, a vibration in the i guess I don't get to tell any stories today here because I already called you and told you stories on the podcast before oh on the phone yeah you
1: did a little bit makes- well you
0: told me about
1: the guy with the junk and drank all the beer while you were there did I tell you that I drove a 912 no, you didn't. I didn't. Hey, I, I do want to ask about your car though. First, did you? So, are you running your wideband on your little phone Bluetooth situation the whole time? No, okay. absolutely not. But- Every once in a while, I would just check it. So were you able to see difference in AFR based on altitude? A little bit. So okay, I would, Are we talking like a tenth of a... No, we're talking about half a point. A lo, what are they called? Lambda? Is that a lambda? Lambda.
0: So I don't use lambda. I use air-fuel ratio because that's what I understand. Sure. Okay. Yes. Um, so lambda is like one is like so a I perfect...
1: So I guess it's a, a tenth of a ratio then. Right. I was just so trying was, to think what the measurement is.
0: If I was running at 11 or 11 and a half at cruising, yeah, I would be running 10 and a half to 11 Okay altitude. It wasn't a huge change. Yeah. So I don't think that I'm gonna need to change till I get to maybe like five or six thousand feet at the top of the mountain, I could tell it was pretty thick. Sure. It was getting pretty thick and you could hear it. Are we gonna hit that out in Utah? Uh, so the, I think the, the elevation out there in general is two to two to 4,000 feet. Okay. So it's kind of considered the, the high desert, right? And and Nevada is kind of like that too, where it's the high desert. You know, I thought when I first drove out there for the first time, um, that I would go over the mountains. In mm-hmm. Colorado, and then I would go down and I would just right. be at the same no. No, <laughs> you go up to like 10,000, 8,000, 9,000 feet, and you come and down you to like two there. to 4,000 feet. Yeah. And you kind of stay at like 3,800, 3,000, 4,000 feet all the way till the ocean. Because then you just go up into the, you know, the Sierra Nevadas again. So you're, you're at elevation that entire time. Hmm. You know, it's, it's forever basically. Yeah. And that's was something plateau. that I, that I learned on, on, on the one of my first trips out there was, oh, I guess I'm just, just not going to have as much power as I <laughs> as I thought as I thought I was. Well, you can
1: have. get out with your CIS and like turn the screw down. I never on the touched thing. any of that. No, you're, I, you're not supposed just, to do that. Yeah,
0: you don't want to do that because you just get lost. Because an eighth or a quarter of a turn on CIS Bosch continuous injection system fueling is a big change. Yeah, and you can get lost really because there's no. It's not like it goes click 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 or anything. Right. It just moves. even on carbs. Technically, you think about your little even your
1: like idle air fuel adjustments. It makes a big difference. Yeah, a little tiny. is a lot.
0: A quarter of a turn will move things. It's 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 insane how much the smallest amount of air will change the way that the cars the cars yeah. run. Um, so you drove a nine twelve. I did. It now, was, have uh, you
1: ever driven a nine twelve before?
0: Um, no, but I have driven a bug.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: um, so I I there was a, a so guy named, is it more bug or more nine eleven? So here's the thing. I got into trouble a little bit talking about 912s at one point. Okay. (laughs) I I, remember this. Yeah. And I won't get into what exactly happened, but basically it was like, hey, you don't have any experience driving these. Shut your mouth. Yes. Right. Which in a way is true. Well, the problem is that could be said for most things you say. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was making an assumption. Yeah. Basically the question is, you know, would you, would you buy a 912? Sure. And I said, No. Well, I not would if not. you already have a nine. I have a nine eleven. Right. Why would I buy a nine twelve? And sure. I still stand by that. I would assume. Ideally, so. Ideally, you would probably want a nine eleven over a nine twelve. Sure, it's just I.
1: I don't uh, think even a nine twelve aficionado would disagree with that.
0: They would really. Yeah, yeah, they would. That's kind of what got me in a little bit trouble. The point is, is that I would rather have if I'm going to own a four cylinder Porsche. Right. I would buy a 914. Okay. Because I already have a 911. Sure. So, uh, driving a 912 never interested me. Sure. And we were on this rally at the Ruchelos Rally out in West Virginia. By the way, great event. They, they did a great job putting it awesome. together. Awesome. Um, all those guys. It was. It Do was, you know how many cars they had there? No. Probably like 40, 50 cars. And that was all Porsche. Yes. Porsche only. Yep. It was a good event. And uh, <laughs> I think one of the highlights of the event was there was a. Uh, a listener of the podcast named Evan, okay. and he had a nine twelve. He's actually really disappointed that that his nine twelve wasn't the first one that I ended up driving. Oh. But he had a nine twelve that I uh, broke down. And this car is cool. It's kind of this. Oh, I saw this. It's black. I think it maybe has a little bit of blue pearl in it. Yeah, Kinda it like looked my, blue
1: on one of your photos. Yeah, like
0: my car did. And it had the cookie cutters like my car did. And it had a roof rack like my car did. And I'm like, oh, this thing has just got the look, right? It's yeah. just slammed. It's on its nuts. There's, You can tell that it scrapes everywhere it goes. <laughs> yep. You know, I just really, really loved the look. And it was broken. And I felt really, really so bad. So what happened? Okay, so we don't really know. Ex- well, we might know by now what happened, but I, I don't we thought maybe he blew a hole in a piston because it just started it was running fine and then it was running really like smoking and we okay. pulled the pan off and there's just aluminum in the oil Ooh. but there was no bearing pieces or anything like that okay. so my thought is and his thought as well was that he went through a uh went through his bowl on his carburetor coming up the mountain had his foot in it to get up oh. and just leaned out and burned a hole in a piston interesting and we were, we were kind of like, oh, yeah, let's let's take it apart. Let's get that jug off. I got some JB <laughs> Weld. Let's just try it. No. You can. No. What are combustion uh, chamber temperatures are? Uh, Two to 300 degrees? Yeah, but it's pressure. It doesn't matter. This, I mean, mm. I looked that up on the internet.
1: <laughs> the internet
0: told me you internet can says- JB Weld a piston. You, you probably could do it. I mean, you wouldn't want to be like busting ass and driving all over the place, but you got to keep in mind, this is a 912. Okay, it's lower compression. <laughs> it's not making a lot of power. You're digging yourself a hole <laughs> again know, here. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, 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 oh, the whole engine on that thing's JB Weld
1: anyways. He's
0: stuck there for like two days. I know, I so get we're it. we're like, fuck it, let's just do it. And then I think it ended up just being like, ah, screw it, we'll just try and get it yeah. home or whatever. So I told him, I said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you come for a ride with me? Sure. You know, come with me, which, which uh, he's, he's like, oh, I can't, you know, I got to stay with my fiance, who he had just proposed to the night before. Oh my which goodness! Was, which was like really great. I, uh, hey, marry me! This and then also <laughs> suffer through with welcome this car. to my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he,
0: he was a he was a really really good dude. Um, graduate of West Point. Like, oh wow, yeah, cool. really really cool to, dude. We got to so I took him for a ride with me. We we sat in the car and talked. It was a really enjoyable experience. And uh, and then I I kind of started to feel like I wanted to drive a nine twelve. I'm like, all right, I gotta I gotta drive a nine twelve. And there was there was another guy, Harry Hoffman. Okay. Who has a burgundy? That's a great name, by it the way. Is, it is. It is, and he's a very intelligent-looking man, too. He's yeah. got like the uh, professor glasses oh, on yeah. and stuff, yeah, and his yeah. name's Harry. And I'm just like, wow, this guy probably has a high IQ. Uh, <laughs> other than the fact that he bought a nine twelve instead of a nine eleven. Okay, again with the hole you're digging. <laughs> I'm going to take your shovel away soon. God, I'm, I'm trying to dig this hole on purpose because because uh, I'm going to eat my words. Okay. So I dr- we drive around and uh, and this is this is what I've always thought about nine twelves, Right. What's It's that? just like why why why. Other than the fact that you couldn't afford a 911, why own a 912 at all? Here's one thing I would love about a 912,
1: is if it had a busted motor or something, you can build up a Volkswagen-based four-cylinder,
0: really, really hot-rotted for a fraction of the cost of a Porsche motor. So that I could see being really cool. So I started thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, that car looks really nice. Yeah. You know, it, it looks good. And I said, Harry, I want to drive your car. I want to drive... This 912. Sure. I really, I want to drive it. I want to see what it's like. So we swapped keys. Okay. He took my car. Uh-huh. I took his. <laughs> and it was. Have, have you ever swapped keys before, Chris? Oh, yeah, yeah. All the time. Yeah, we swap keys yeah, all the time. Dinner parties and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Come on over. Doors. Actually, my no. doors are never locked, so no, it's thanks. no big deal. No, thanks. Um, so I got to drive his car. Okay. I get in. I start up. The clutch is... My clutch is heavy. Yeah. The clutch was so light. It was like... Uh, it's, it, i it was like a feeler gauge for a spring. I mean, there was just, there was just nothing there. And the throttle, so the only thing that really disappointed me about the car yeah. was, the, was the throttle response and the sure. feel of the throttle. Sure. And it's, I felt a couple bugs that were, you know, similar in terms okay. of throttle, you know, actuation. Yeah. Other than that, I really enjoyed driving the car. Okay. I really enjoyed driving it. It made me want to get one for Jesse. Like I wanna find a nine twelve for Jesse. That cheap anymore. I know, but I (laughs) there's there's a friend of mine who knows of one sitting in the desert in like Arizona or something like that. That sounds
1: great. I think we should get it regardless.
0: Yeah, I'm trying, but I don't wanna Pry too much uh, he's probably <laughs> listening right now being like oh i really should email Crystal's pictures yeah that i said i would email him like last week you know what
1: chris is a jerk who never liked 912s anyways send them to me shake yeah, right. and
0: overcrestproductions.com so, uh, so he his car was really really nice okay you now it was had Now all... is
1: this is this a stock motor does he have it hot rodded a little bit um, what's I think going on there
0: i think it's just kind of so he had a, a gearbox worked on on the gearbox so we okay. had a shorter third gear i think and then a longer fifth gear sure and um the mistake that i made is i didn't really it's not my car right i didn't really beat on it too much yeah and he says hey did you take it over five thousand rpms i'm like yeah like once he's like oh dude that's where it's the best and i didn't and okay. i kind of wish i would have flogged on his car a little bit more but i didn't yeah it's not my car you know i didn't really know what's your excuse but, with my car then um well, I know you, and I know how you drive your car, <laughs> yeah. and I know that. So you just, yeah, okay. I know how. I know how I want you. You're my friend. You were a podcast host, blah, blah blah. I know you very well. I don't know Harry very well. Yeah, I get it. I want you to drive my car like I'm going to drive your car. I want ah. people to. I want people to do it. And yeah. I know you would, so I would also uh, drive gadget. your car in a similar way. It was great. It felt every bit a 911 until you touched the gas bottle, <laughs> and okay. it was okay.
1: The one thing I, was, I think I, was I would okay miss with it.
0: from the whole sensual experience was the exhaust note. It doesn't sound bad. Okay, it actually sounded pretty throaty, pretty nice. That's nice. Um, the gearbox, like I like the dogleg gearbox. It's pretty fun. Because that has it, a nine hundred and one box. Yeah, like this was like freshly rebuilt. Yeah, it was like, much much better was, than like, mine. It was like butter. It was yeah. really really nice. And he had all brand new bushings in the suspension, a bunch of elephant racing stuff. Yeah, stock tires though, and, and like nice tires. Yeah, it, it was. A pleasure to drive, really, really nice to drive. And at this time, my car was developing the flat spot in the tire that made the <laughs> made the steering wheel vibrate like crazy. Yeah. So I was like, wow, this thing is so nice to drive. Oh my god! Like it just was smooth, and there was no shaking. And yeah. And it was it, it was a really comfortable experience. And one thing that was kind of cool that I liked, and I you know I don't like three hundred fifty millimeter steering wheels to begin with. Uh-huh. I, he had his, the big wooden wheel in the car. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun to just kind of like saw away at this wheel and and go through the mountains with it. It was.
1: Was it more like a leisurely driving experience? Would you say or yes? Okay.
0: My my car is far more frantic. Right. Yes. It is, it is far more frantic because I can, in the same way, I can drive the shit out of your car. Yeah. And I don't have to just destroy the brakes every single corner. Right. You know, I went through almost an entire set of brake pads in the last <laughs> year on my car. I checked them today. I'm like. Ooh, Ooh, or last night I'm like, wow, there's only like a little less than an eighth of an inch left on the brake yeah. pads. I got to do new pads. The rotors look great somehow, which is crazy no, considering how hard I drive that car. Yeah. But I going through an entire set of brake pads, you don't, you're don't you not going to do that on, on a 912. You're just going to drive around, have a nice driving experience. It's just, I think, I think it's evolved to become much more than it initially, initially was. I think initially it was a car that they could sell to people in a price segment of the people that. You know, could not afford not just like someone would buy a GTI instead of a Golf R, right? Right? Why? Well, why wouldn't you just buy the Golf R? I don't know because a Golf R now is like sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> so you buy the GTI or the GTI Club Sport and you sure. enjoy it. And I think that's maybe the mentality that they have when had when they came out with the nine twelve. Oh yeah, because it is just a you know, I it's. I think maybe they should have just called it a nine eleven, but then had the a 1.7 or a nine eleven. B for like nine eleven Beetle. I don't know they, if they could have just done something because it is a nine eleven. It yeah. is. It's it is every bit the transmission, the car, the wheels, the brakes, the interior, the steering wheel, the rack, the the geometry. What year this uh, this was a sixty eight. Okay, so still short wheelbase too. Then yes, interesting. Yes, it was. Yeah, which I also kind of liked. You know, I tested. I'm like, okay, there's a lot less weight back here. Is it gonna you know? It is it gonna push out? It doesn't push out as much. There's just obviously. There's yeah. just not as much weight. But it did still have that kind of like lift off rotation yep. stuff going on. I don't know. I liked it enough that I would consider owning one.
1: But you would miss your nine eleven if oh, you yeah, didn't me.
0: have that. Oh yeah. <laughs> <me>. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There's there's no question. So about speaking that. of tires, what is this big issue oh, with your man. tires? So I had this crazy vibration start on the way down there. Okay. And you probably felt it when you drove it last Yes, I did. And I was like, and I was just like, oh, well, I've always had a, a problem with vibration okay, for the long as I can remember, probably since I bought these tires. Well, yeah. Which is how... I, I that's what
1: I was going to ask. Yeah, yes. I
0: don't know. It's been a while. I've had them rebalanced a couple of times, and I, you would think that the guys would be like, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with these tires. They're they're badly worn. They mm-hmm. were badly worn. They the, I had the alignment set up at a place, and you would think that they would do a good job. right? They clearly did not do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the wear on those tires is crazy. They're camber worn, like you would not believe. Like the cords were, I saw just that. barely showing. Wow, on, on one the of inside. the inside. Uh, yes, on and the then inside. And on the outside, it's like oh, plenty of track. Yeah, and You look at it you're like oh, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. until you get it yeah, there. So I was going to take them off to put the the cookie cutters on. Yeah. Which, did you see the car? Yes, I did. It looks pretty cool with the cookies uh, on I the don't front. Like Doesn't that it? look? Yeah, it I looks pretty like good. It. No, the cookie cutters look so much wider and chunkier. They than do. But so if I could have a wide, I was talking to, you know,
1: what I think would be a sweet look is my, uh, steely look on the front of yours with the Fuchs in the rear, like the race cars did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Probably. We could try it out. You'll we'll see how it works. Sure, why not? I, uh, sent a text message to Jason from roaded forum being like, dude, do you know anyone that will widen a set of steelys for me? Cookies. Cookies. Yes, yes, Sorry. Cookies. He's like, yeah, that's, you don't want to do that. Why? basically because he's, he's right. You don't want to really be widening and welding on cast aluminum wheels. Hmm. It's just not a good idea. Hmm. I mean, it's a great idea. <laughs> you know, if you, it, but it's just, it's technically, if there's ever an emergency where you're really stressing the wheel, you, you hit something or whatever, oh. you could end up in a world of hurt hmm. in a very rare situation. But when someone like Jason says, I wouldn't do that. You got to kind of make me go, art. I shouldn't do that because the guy knows what the F he's talking about. Right. right? So, so that now was,
1: you just need someone to make a cookie cutter that's wide.
0: Yeah. So my first thought from, was, from scratch, I, I was, my first inkling was to go. So Jason make some for yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I, uh, I can't afford it anyway. So I yeah. didn't say anything. So what are these tires you have on the cookie cutters? Uh, the same tire. Oh, and it's you this. put these tires on the cookies back in the day. Yes, and okay. they it's great. It's smooth. I thought it's this wonderful. was some
1: set from 1982 that no. came on these wheels no, from I a have, barn. I
0: have six cookies just because I was thinking of widening some. So I have six or maybe eight yeah. of these things that I because I have <laughs> always wanted to widen. I might just widen a set anyway. You just, could just to do it and see how it looks and you know put around live on dangerously. It a bit. Live live dangerously. So what's been what's been going on with you? Oh, I, I did get a question from someone on Patreon. Okay, let's hear it. I, all right. Some people, he just it's kind of like a topic, some people have older, less expensive cars that they love. This is Andrew Smith. Um, but they may not feel comfortable making a 3,000-mile road trip across the country, especially in a remote area without cell coverage or many people. Especially important, seeing as those, the Overcrest rally this year is halfway across the country from the Midwest. And I found a quote from one of my favorite movies that will explain exactly how I feel about this. Okay. Come on. Stop whining. You kids are soft. You lack discipline. I've got news for you. You are mine now. You belong to me. You're not going to have your mummies run behind you anymore and wipe your little douches. Oh no, it's time now to turn this mush into muscles. No more complaining, no more Mr. Kimblev to go to the bathroom. Nothing. There is no bathroom. Andrew, there is no bathroom. Is get that- in the car. Get in the damn car and drive the thing. This is America. This isn't Zimbabwe or Argentina True. where you're going to get stuck and like turn into a skeleton that someone's going to find like three years down the road. Oh my God, we found him. Do dental records. Oh my God, it's that guy Andrew Smith who who went across the country and just he he didn't make it. He didn't make it. You're you're. <laughs>
1: Come on, man. Come on. First of all, is that from that stupid babysitter movie with it's, Arnold Schwarzenegger? It's kindergarten Cop.
0: Kindergarten Cop. Yeah. <laughs> there is no bathroom. There is no
1: bathroom. There is no bathroom. Um, so i I get both sides of this because one, I don't think I'd want to take the old C-10 pickup across the country. But at the same time, you talk about a car that could be fixed literally anywhere yeah. off of junkyard parts. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I'm curious what his car is that he has that he isn't... I'm not,
0: I'm not sure. That he doesn't have a lot of faith in. The problem is, is that you can pretty much go anywhere and you're someone's going to come by. You have right. to be, You have to be smart about what you're doing, too. You don't want to just go willy-nilly into anywhere in the world without no. some sort of... You know, if you're going to drive through Nevada... Bring some water. <laughs> Seriously, in, in Minnesota, when it's cold outside and it's bring snowing, a blanket, you bring a blanket. Yes, you bring a little bit of water with you. Maybe some, you know, heat packs in your hands. You bring gloves. You bring hat. You br- in in the trunk of my car in the wintertime, I have a blanket, gloves, hat, boots. I have all these things in a little bag, right. and they sit. You just have to be prepared. Right. You just got to be prepared and stop whining. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's, let's move on. <laughs> so,
1: Chris, I I have created a monster. You have. I have. So I have this Harley,
0: and I, I, Jake, I love this so much. I know oh you do. Oh my god, I love this so much. I I'm just imagining. You. I,
1: you know what? No, I'm not even gonna talk about it. No, I, not, it's all well, great. I'm, it's by great. all means, I'll tell it's everybody. It's great.
0: It's great. Don't even worry about it. I just imagine. <laughs> I just imagine little Jake in his garage. He's Harley's done. He's so excited. Was. He's smiling. I was so
1: excited. I got the last parts for it on Monday. These oil line fittings I was waiting for. I put it all together. It's good to go. I I installed this whole, I, you have to take apart the entire case to do this kickstart kit retrofit. I got all that in there, put it all together, put oil in it, put fuel in it, and I went to kick it over. And mind you, okay. I knew that this is a hard Bike to kickstart. Right. Yeah. I knew this from the beginning, and it had an electric starter that I took out for the sake of being cool. Yeah. Because it's a super minimalist, there's no wiring then, it's just a kickstart. And I did all this other fabrication yeah, where I yeah. put an oil filter hey, in the Jake, place of the starter. Jake,
0: yeah. You're a man. Yeah, I'm a man. <laughs> you're i are was- a man. Exactly. <laughs> That's
1: my thought when I'm reading, like, oh, those are pretty hard to start. Like, oh, come on. How hard can they be? It's How a motorcycle. It yeah. I got this. Holy crap! It's hard. <laughs> stop whining. Yes, yes. So, first of all, it's like hundred degrees here this last week. So I'm out in my garage. Yes, I know. Play the damn clip.
0: Stop whining. Yes, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Great. I made an extra clip of the just the stop I, whining. I noticed just for, just you. for this. Yeah, thank just for you because you, you're just much. whining like incredulously. So, anyways,
1: I try kicking it over. I'm sitting there for 20 minutes. And first of all, let me tell you the process for kicking okay. this thing over. I'm left-handed right? So naturally I'm left foot Don dominant, yep. dominant, dominant, dominant. Thank you. Yes.
0: Um, Something maybe you should try. Yes. At home well. if you have
1: never done it before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this
1: Harley is dominating me. <laughs> I can tell you that at least. So I usually, you like stand over the bike, you straddle it and kick it with your right foot. No way. I, there's no way I can one footed on my right foot, kick this thing over. I can stand on it with both feet and like hop, and it doesn't move. There's that much compression. Okay, so, so what do you weigh? I weigh like 170. Okay, so you're, I mean, it's, it's not like it's, you're a fairy no, in the weight no, department. exactly. So what I have to do then is I, on my left foot, so you kick on, you stand on the right side of the bike and with my left foot, jump in the air and then land on it with my left foot and kick with all your might. Basically compressing all of the force into your knee. Correct. Yeah. And here's what's notorious about these old Iron head sportsters yes is they're owned by real men no either the kickstarter clutch paw will slip in which case you will hyperextend your knee because mm-hmm. it just drops right through or it will um kick back when oh. it actually ignites and launch you into the air or compress your knee or sprain your ankle all right and so well, all of these things sound pretty awful they sound great yeah so here I am kicking it, kicking it. I, I finally came up with a method where, and I'm going to stand up, and you can describe this. Where okay. I'm on I'm on the right side of the bike here. Yep. I jump up with all my weight, and as I come down, I actually put my right foot on top of my left foot, so oh. I'm literally so all you can my at least split the force between both of your it.
0: knees. Yes, yeah, exactly. That seems reasonable. Yes, I could only imagine you doing that at Sturgis, and everybody just laughing. Or like any
1: time I stop to get gas or anything like that. Yeah. Well, you
0: just never shut it off. I guess, yeah. yeah. Go into a restaurant, have a beer. Nope, nope. It's just idling out he there. It makes me think of all the guys that you know. One of the reasons why, on a car, when you would crank start it, they'd have like a big weight on it. Yeah, right. You you wind up this big flywheel, oh, right, right, and, and then, then kick then the flywheel over exactly. Yeah, yeah. That would have been a better otherwise, idea. They, otherwise, in the beginning, you'd have the crank starts on the car, and they'd break your wrist or break your arm. Yes, which is which essentially is what you're what doing. this is doing. Yeah.
1: So I did, however, finally get it to start. And it like idled great. I was like, oh, maybe the timing's way off. And it's just like not starting. Ran great. And then I went to get on it. I got geared up. Gave it a couple revs, slowly let out the clutch, which I just freshly adjusted. Everything's set to go, and it killed. And I said, screw this! I'm not spending another 30 minutes in 100-degree heat sitting here cranking this thing over again. Stop whining. Yes. So I tucked it away, (laughs) and then the next day I came out and tried to get it started again. It'll pop. It'll backfire a little bit. It'll pop out the pipes. Can't get it. So either someone can offer me what I have into it, as is, Or this motorcycle, <laughs> or I'm going to put the starter back into it. And I don't, I don't even want to at this point because I'm so frustrated with myself because I built it up exactly how I want it. Right. And now anything that I do is going backwards in my vision and how I wanted this thing to be. Well,
0: it's either do it or sell it. I mean, that's, right. it's just so that's literally what I'm saying. So you, either- t- you called me yesterday. You're like, yeah, we're going to trailer this thing over this motorcycle show and sell it right now. Yep. Is that, I was did you have you have it be, I, I don't have it so because you... I'm
1: thinking I should put the starter in it Here's my other thought I was thought. thinking you drill
0: a hole in the piston
1: <laughs> So I looked into this First of all what I did is I I backed out the spark plugs a few threads yeah. making sure there was still enough in there where they don't shoot across the room when yeah. the threads pull and it made zero difference Okay no well, there's difference. not that's not
0: you no I in know that, short that doesn't amount of time you not bleeding off exactly
1: they do they used to make these spark plug bleeder like decompression spark plugs. Yeah. Which there's big be- bulldozers that have this. The yeah, diesels I, that... I, I've been looking. I can't find one that works for this thing. That would be ideal. Otherwise, it's like pull the heads. It, you basically have to set them up for twin plugging and then yeah. use one of the plug screws as a
0: decompression. What was that? I guess the trading day is over. Am like, wait, computer? really? <laughs> yeah. I thought this was another
1: effect for like no, all aboard no. or something. Well, I, yeah. Okay. All aboard. Yeah. Oh,
0: so <laughs>
1: no, I didn't bring the bike with me because I should just put the electric start in it. And what I could do,
0: what is the problem with this? Do you just feel what? Like that's just, some technology that you didn't want to have yes, on it, exactly. Because kickstarting your motorcycle is such a, a, a ritualistic part of driving it. It right? really is. Just yes, like it rough. is.
1: And I like. I wanted this thing to be so bare bones. Do you have a battery? No, there's okay, no battery on so it. You'd have to add that's, a battery. That's the main problem. So put put a little thing in your backpack. I thought about this. Like, like a, one of the jumper like packs? Like a Formula One car. Yes. So <laughs> I even looked into, I went as far as to looking at like, you remember when we went to uh, the NHRA Nationals and all those big Harleys were running like 200 cubic inch motors. And they have they a thing that they- remote or um, external, external starter. Yeah, it goes
0: right on the crank. Exactly. Just, wow. So yeah. I
1: looked into this even. Yeah. And it's really hard for an iron head. You have to like machine out the plate and everything else and get that going on it. So I here's the other problem. I wanted to just try pop-starting it because some guys say
0: they pop-start much easier than kicking over. But could with you my imagine, driveway- Could you imagine doing that anywhere? Like, no, just, it'd be ugh. dumb.
1: But even if you're I- want
0: 30 miles an hour by the end of your get time you get to the bottom of your driveway. Yeah, but then
1: if it doesn't start, how am I going to get it back up?
0: You're not. <laughs> no, you're, you're definitely not. <laughs>
1: So I think I'm gonna put the starter back in without changing any wiring, without changing any. I'm not gonna put a battery in it, and I'm just gonna use that to remote start it to make sure everything's dialed in and running right. Maybe the timing's off a few degrees, and that would.
0: Throw I don't know, it even, off. even my scooter is a little hard to kick over from time to time.
1: And that's a what CC?
0: It's 177. Yeah, this is yeah. a
1: thousand. Yeah, and I so in I did a lot of research. Like, am though. I just uh? Uh, am I just a, a, a Nancy about yeah. this, right? Yeah. And they said, first of all, these iron heads are the hardest bike to kickstart. Stop whining. Even the big twin motor engines, they call them, yep. those are easier to kick over. These are the hardest bike that most guys have ever tried to kick over, and I do still think this might have some hot cylinders in it, or like bigger piston, higher compression piston. Right, because you didn't you didn't split the motor open. I did not or take split the motor, at- but when timing it I, in the crankshaft, it has an aftermarket crank on it. Ah, uh,
0: well, this so sounds cool.
1: It sounds very cool, but I and then I was like. What if I made like a really big platform to kick on? Yeah, like like me and another buddy could like jump on it together, (laughs) like out of like mount a skateboard on it or something. Mount a kickstart on
0: both sides of the motor. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) That way your wife could help you start it, Jake. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just so I don't don't know what to do with it. Put an electric start on the fucking thing and be done with it. I know. Does it ruin the look? Can you tell it has electric start? Yes. <laughs> you, that's what you're really concerned about too. Yes. is like showing up somewhere and the, the guy has electric start on his bike. What oh, it'd you, be
1: so cool if it didn't. And if it kicked, like just started up every time.
0: Yeah. I, I can see that if you can't, if it's going to break your leg every time you try to do it, it's, then, so, bad. Then, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's untenable. You, so how bummed are you on a scale from one to 10?
1: And that's why at this point I just want to go on. Yeah. Cause you just, I, I don't want to go backwards on this. Like I had this vision for the bike from the very beginning so are you to build, do you kit. want to build
0: something else, like a different kind of bike? Or are you I'm, just like, over I'm, I'm, it right now? I'm just done. Now? You're just over I'm it. done. So all the motorcycles. Put an electric kit
1: on it instead. What, you want me to do like an electric conversion on a Harley? Yeah.
0: On, on the frame that you have right now, if uh-huh. you a way to do like an electric conversion. I would
1: start over with something different.
0: Yeah, not this. Yeah, no. That would be silly. Yeah, probably. But, hey, you already have the frame and everything. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, uh, motorcycles for sale. Uh, 996 <laughs> Turbo still for sale. How's the
0: bring a trailer process going?
1: Uh, I am Are we still just in... a few weeks out from that. And okay. I basically told the guy, I was like, is there a rule that I can't try to sell it myself in the meantime? He's like, no, go for it. He's like, it may hamper bidding in the end if once it goes to sale because now people know exactly what you want for it. Right. Um, that's but what i was like, saying but was there's saying, nothing yeah. so that's why i haven't listed it anywhere public like auto trade or anything so that's why i haven't
0: listed the, the m5 anywhere publicly either
1: because you're th- still thinking, I'm about, thinking bringing a about bringing a trailer yeah thinking yeah, about it that i don't think that'd be a problem so i have it on renlist and a lot of the guys are like I, I was curious about because this is a higher mile uh 996 turbo but it is meticulously maintained, right? It's in great shape. So I thought a lot of people would balk at the mileage and everyone on Renlist is like, yeah, looks great. This is awesome. Wish I was in the market.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of cars that, that the mileage doesn't matter as much as it does the maintenance history of it. Right. Like you could have a, you know, a 50,000 mile or 75,000 mile 911 SC, but if it hasn't had any engine work done, it's a time bomb. A lot of times, yeah,
1: that's a negative like 996, uh, non Metzger engine, uh, Porsches, you, you actually want them to have miles on them.
0: Right, just to make sure that the thing actually freaking works. Exactly. All right, so this episode has been brought to you by our Drivers Club members. What is that, Jake? What's the Drivers Club?
1: Drivers Club. That is our Patreon members, and as we like to call them, the Drivers Club, because you are along for the drive with us. Yes. So head over to overcrestproductions.com slash club, or patreon.com slash overcrest your choice at this point yeah same thing <clears throat> um and for as little as five dollars a month you can get access to exclusive content you can send us messages like andrew smith did before um you can leave us a voicemail leave us exclusive a voicemail. content.
0: you get a discount on the rally that's
1: right yeah you i get forgot a discount. about that yeah
0: which actually depending on your level pays for that the pays enti- for itself the it pays for like half the year the entire year the entire thing so yes exactly you know, hop on in and sign up and be part of the Part of the whole thing. Be part of it. Support yeah, the we, show. Really we really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Huge shout out to those guys. All right. Here we go. Uh, there's a court. A, a Dutch court has ordered Shell to slash CO2 emissions in landmark okay, climate ruling. So Shell, the,
1: the gasoline company. Uh, petroleum company. Right. But I assume they're talking about. Yes. Their, so they're saying the company itself has yes. to slash CO2. Yes. Okay. I was thinking for some reason like, well, the gas you're manufacturing needs to be less polluting.
0: No. No, they're well, just saying sort of. Yeah, a Dutch court. A Dutch corps has ruled that the Royal Dutch that Royal Dutch Shell must dramatically reduce its carbon emissions in landmark climate decision that could have far-reaching consequences for oil companies. Is first of all, is Shell a Dutch company? Royal Dutch Shell. Yeah, I don't know the company. You can look that up while I'm reading. The company must must slash its CO2 emissions by 45% by 2030 from 2019 levels, according to a judgment from a district court in the Hague on Wednesday. That's their, like, Supreme Court or something, I think. It includes emissions from its own operations and from the – it. here's the key – and from the energy product it sells.
1: Okay, so that is what I'm
0: talking about. So they somehow are saying, well, actually, the gasoline as well needs to be less polluting. Are you kidding me? That includes emissions from its own operations and from the energy products it sells. How? This is incredible. That's insane. This is the first time that a court has ruled that a company needs to reduce its emissions in line with global climate goals, according to Friends of the Earth Netherlands an environmental campaigning group that brought the case against Shell. The verdict could pave the way for similar cases to be brought in other countries, forcing oil companies to reduce fossil fuel production. It comes just a week after the influential international energy agency, uh, which was formed in the seventies after the gas crisis, told oil companies that they need to stop drilling for oil and gas right now to prevent a climate catastrophe. While Shell claims that it's carbon Intensity targets are aligned with the Paris Agreement, which really is just a piece of paper that nobody listened to, which aims (laughs) to limit global temperature increases to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Friends of the Earth Netherlands argues that the company's ongoing investments into oil and gas extraction show it doesn't take climate change seriously. The court found that Shell's carbon emissions pose a very serious threat to Dutch residents and that the company has, quote, individual responsibility to reduce emissions. The court said that the company would, ha- would have total freedom to comply with its order and to shape corporate policy. You you have total freedom to do exactly what we want you to do. Exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yes. Uh, wow. Shell indicated it would appeal the ruling, which is immediately enforceable. According to the brand Ben Badir, we are investing billions of dollars in low carbon energy, including electric vehicle charging, hydrogen, renewables and biofuels. We want to grow demand for these products and scale up our new energy businesses even more quickly. We will continue to focus on these efforts and fully expect to appeal today's disappointing court decision. It's wow. You know what they should say? Huh? Leave me the fucking <laughs> That's what they should fucking say. Uh, they don't care, Mr. Spokesman. They don't care about you. They don't care that you're trying. It doesn't matter. At its annual meeting on Wednesday, ExxonMobil will face a challenge from activist investor engine number one, whatever that is, which is seeking to replace almost a third of the company's board. They must have bought like a bunch of stock and become like a like a, one of the majority stakeholders in the company. Now wow. they want to replace a third of the company's board to try and force it to move more quickly on climate change. Also on Wednesday, shareholders shareholders will vote on emissions reduction targets at Chevron's annual meeting. Shell is the first kidding? but will not be the last company that will be forced to stop dangerous climate change. Friends of the Earth Netherlands, Director Donald Poles, told reporters on Wednesday, as of today, climate lawsuits are a material risk for all major polluters around the world. Meanwhile, Friends of Earth has sued Amazon and all the companies they use to <laughs> ship products around the world using dirty bunker fuel. Well, that no, I can get behind. Yeah, they didn't do that. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Oh, they didn't? <laughs> no, no. They oh, didn't come do on, it Chris. Is, I know
1: I had you though. Uh, I had you. I had you. So fun fact. Yes. Shell is actually a Dutch petroleum company. Okay. So yep. that is actually you know what they're at. Shell? Should do? What? they should
0: just move. Right. Just can buy. You imagine them doing this to a company out of Texas. See you later. Just <laughs> peace out. We're we're a world international company. Exactly. If you're gonna do this, we're out of here. Yes. But the problem is you can see that there's, you know, this uh activist investor is trying to take over Exxon and Chevron's meeting with their shareholders and about reduction. This is like accelerating really, really fast. Yeah. It's really, really, really moving along. The problem is
1: the market dictates what is sold and for what price. No, it, what? What?
0: That's that's out. ideally what you would want, but that's not what's happening. Well, they're trying to yeah undermine that. When you force a company to say, hey, you have to reduce your emissions by 45% by in the next 10 years, by 2030, or nine years. Now, who years, is
1: saying that? Is the government the saying government, that? The government. They're saying
0: wow. it's legal. You must do this. In, in Holland. In, in Holland. Okay. In Dutch. Yeah. The we Dutch were, we're
1: both going to say in Dutchland? Dutchland?
0: Deutsch. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that's Germany. Fun uh, fact,
1: though, about Shell. Do you know where the name Shell came from? And the logo, of course? The founder's father actually used to import seashells from the Far East. Oh. And so when his sons made this company where they were exporting kerosene, they're like, well, let's use the shell company of yeah. our father. I like it. Anyways. I like it.
0: Yeah, they just they just don't care. Honestly, they, wow. these people don't care. And when you say that the market decides, it definitely doesn't. Not with this. You know, this is... this is
1: Historically, that's how it works, Chris. Uh, and in most industry, that's how it
0: works. Welcome to the real world where regulation and... Uh, the climate change activism decides and uh, OPEC decide what the price of oil is going to be. All right, so lots of people died. Quit in cars. We're turning me into a libertarian. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> lots of people died in cars last year. Okay. U.S. traffic deaths have soared. You're not making a good case for taking the car right now, you realize. U.S. traffic deaths have soared after coronavirus lockdowns ended in 2020.
1: So people forgot how to drive? Is that where this is going?
0: Uh, you know what? I'm going to skip over most of this because I want to get to our next story, which will be our last one. Okay. Uh, basically, what what happened is um, uh, fatally injured vehicle occupants, excluding motor, uh, motorcycles, who were ejected as a proportion of all fatalities, increased over coronavirus. The greatest increase occurred in June, 27%. So people have quit wearing their seatbelts. Wait, really? I don't understand. It's like they're
1: fatally injured vehicle occupants who were ejected as a proportion of all fatalities
0: increased by
1: 27%. Why?
0: You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? I don't understand. What else do you're doing besides rolling the dice when you get into a car and don't wear your seatbelt? That's so dumb. You, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. I think it's, a, in general, maybe it's this, like, sense of nihilism when coronavirus came out. They're like, well, I might as well just not wear my seatbelt. I could get this virus and die any moment. Do you think that's what it is? I can't imagine what else it would be. Wow. It's also, I think, not wearing a seatbelt is an older generational thing uh, from people that grew up driving during the during the 70s. Right, where nobody wore seatbelts, and then of course they came out with the the thing that would beep or the car uh, seatbelt interlock, where it wouldn't start unless you have the seatbelt yeah. on.
1: Or in the nineties, where the pe- the
0: uh, yeah. the uh, shoulder tried, restraint would go across. They've tried a million different things, and it's you can reduce traffic fatalities if everyone wore their seatbelt by fifty percent. Fifty percent is that a real statistic? That's A real statistic. Wow, that is a absolute. I, I don't real know. Statistic anyone who gets in a car who doesn't wear a seatbelt. I don't either, but you're also not a 70-year-old person from Louisiana. You just think that's what, what it
1: is? It's the older generation?
0: 100%. Absolutely. No. My dad, my father-in-law wouldn't wear a seatbelt, or he, it's not that he wouldn't. He just wouldn't even think about it. He'd have to be like, hey, put your seatbelt on. Oh, yeah, okay. Put your seatbelt on. They just, it's just habit. It's just cultural, cultural well, type things. Most of those guys aren't driving anymore now. Huh? Yeah, because they got thrown out of the windshield. <laughs> Someone paid an assload of money for part of James Dean's 550 Spider. Did you see Part? this? Did you see this? No. Part of this? There isn't much left of the 1955 Porsche 550 Spider. Actor James Dean died in, but the car's four-speed transaxle survives and was just sold for $382,000 oh. on Bring a Trailer. Serial numbers on the transmission confirmed that it was fitted to a Porsche 550 Spider with chassis number 550-0055 I didn't the engine realize number 90059. The car owned and registered by James Dean at his home in Sherman Oaks, California huh it is understood that Warner Brothers barred James Dean from motorsport activities while he was filming giant in 1955 as production of the film neared its end he purchased the 550 spider on September 21st and was killed just nine days later no kidding this, do you know about the curse no I don't You could not pay me three hundred eighty two thousand dollars to own or even have this transmission anywhere near me or oh, my, there's like a curse or my that is yeah yeah yeah, there's a curse. So the car was called the Little Bastard, is what the car was called. That's what he that's what he called it. Do you do you want to hear a little bit of history? I I
1: totally do. Okay, you got so, my attention. Here. Yeah, yeah. So this is from. Are the, we going to get into the curse?
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about the curse and everything that happened. We got like 15 minutes. I think we can. I think we can do this. All right, lay it on me. So this thing was called Little Bastard. Okay. And in fact, Little Bastard had caused upset. Oh, this is from our friends over at at Haggerty. Sure. Caused upset almost from the moment James Dean bought it. A week before the fatal crash, Dean met British actor Alec Guinness in Los Angeles. Guinness had an ominous feeling on seeing the Porsche and would later write in his diary. The sports car looked sinister to me, exhausted, hungry, feeling a little ill-tempered in spite of Dean's kindness. I heard myself saying in a voice I could hardly recognize as my own. Please never get in it. If you get in that car, you will be found dead in it by this time next week. (gasps) In his diary. (laughs) <laughs> Dean laughed it off and set about preparing the car for the Salinas sports car races with his Porsche mechanic, Rolf Wutherick, enlisting stuntman Bill Hickman to help out. The original plan was to tow little bastard to the races, but Wutherick felt it would be better for Dean to get used to the spider and run the engine in. On that fateful Friday, Wutherick sat next to Dean while Hickman followed with his truck and trailer. Mm-hmm. Police pulled over the convoy and issued a pair of speeding tickets just outside Bakersfield. It didn't slow Dean down one bit. Dean was barreling down Route 466 at an estimated 85 miles per hour when a young Cal Poly student named Donald Turnipseed driving a Ford... Wait, his... Hold on. His name is Turnipseed? Turnipseed. Donald Turnipseed. Continue. Driving a Ford Tudor decided to make a sudden turn on Route 41. The impact set the Ford almost 40 feet down the road and ejected Wooderick from the Porsche was pronounced dead on arrival at the Peso Robles War Memorial Hospital at 620 p.m. Despite being declared a total loss by the insurance company, the car was sold and would continue to cause carnage wherever it, or even parts of it, went. Dr. William Eskrich bought the Porsche from a salvage yard in Burbank and proceeded to strip it for parts. Esrich installed the Porsche's engine into his Lotus 9 race car, then loaned the transmission and suspension parts to fellow doctor and racer Troy McHenry. Eskrich crashed the Lotus at the 1956 Panoma sports car races, surviving, but McHenry was, was not as lucky. He hit a tree and was killed in the same race, and so the curse of Little Bastard gained strength. Dean's Porsche itself carried on. Shortly after the crash, publicity monger and self-proclaimed king of customs George Barris bought the Spider, promising to rebuild it. When the mangled frame was found to be beyond recovery, Barris chose to capitalize on the car's notoriety. The Porsche was loaned to Los Angeles chapter of the National Safety Council, and from 1957 to 1959, it went on a gruesome tour of car shows, movie theaters, and bowling alleys. In March of 1959, while in storage in Fresno, the car mysteriously caught fire, It suffered remarkably little damage, two (laughs) melted tires and some stinged paint. And fortunately, the fire did not spread to the other vehicles in storage. Meanwhile, Barris had sold a pair of tires from the 550 and both reportedly blew at the same time, causing the new owner to careen off the road. Wow. There are other unconfirmed stories of Little Bastard's post-accident life. The car is said to have fallen from its display while on show in Sacramento, breaking the hip of a bystander. The spider also reportedly fell on and killed George Barkas, the driver who transported it to a road safety expo. (sighs) Finally, the Porsche is rumored to have disappeared from a sealed box car in 1960 while en route from Miami to Los Angeles. Some believe that Barris, ever the showman, fabricated that story as a way of keeping the car's mystique alive. Despite a million-dollar reward for information being offered in 2005, Little Bastard's whereabouts remain unknown. With Barris himself now gone and no sign of the car for 60 years, the end of Little Bastard's haunting story may never be revealed. Wow. And get that transmission out of my house. <laughs> I wouldn't want to own it. Are you a superstitious guy? Not usually. But
1: with that. But with that,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: It's just. It's, so, did he buy this car brand new? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wonder if there's some other history beforehand like like
0: some of the sprinkled some water on it or some like, no, voodoo like water. Wait,
1: was there like some nazi parts in this thing from
0: pre-war like what when was it first made like some sort of scary stuff i mean this is there's not that much out there this is kind of it this is the story wow all right guys that's it for today on monday we have felix holst he was a designer for uh lead director at um Hot Wheels. Oh he, wow! He he's a he runs a fabrication company. It's super interesting guy. He's an artist, an incredible artist. A lot of his work has been on um, bring a trailer, bring a trailer, actually. selling for like ten thousand, twelve thousand, oh, wow. thirteen thousand dollars. These uh these amazing uh, paintings. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't a fabrication company. It's a company called Hack Rod. Okay, he's really really into how basically we're going to develop as um, enthusiasts and develop you know, making things and it's it's really really interesting. I really am, I'm looking forward to interviewing him that will be on Monday but for now we will see you guys next week take care